do you sometimes feel like a nobody? Uh, life makes us feel like a nobody when our hopes have come to nothing, or if your big plans for this spring and summer have gurgled away down the Covid drain and your high hopes for the end of lockdown have sunk without trace in the last couple of weeks, then that can make you feel like a bit of a nobody. But this is a, a pretty widespread experience. Uh, it's a feeling we get from time to time, maybe every day in human life. If we fancy a guy or fall for a woman who, as it turns out, much prefers somebody else. Or if, looking back, we feel it's really likely that our life is passing us by and the big chances to be what we imagined we might be lie behind us, then you can feel like a bit of a nobody. Where is God in the experience of feeling like a bit of a nobody? What does our spiritual life offer to us, uh, Christian people, on the days when we feel a bit rubbish, a, a bit useless, a, a bit sad? bit of a nobody. I've been thinking about these questions because of today's reading, Nehemiah chapter 3. You can open the Bible at this point if you want to, and uh, if you do, you'll be glad that you haven't been asked to read from this chapter, uh, because chapter 3 has got 91 names in it, which are pretty difficult to pronounce. It's a long list of names. Of course, the flow of the story of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, is the story of uh, the history of what happens after a disaster. The exile of the people of God to Babylon and the rule over them by the Persians went on for many centuries of biblical history, and it was not good. But when I was a much younger Christian, I heard a lecture one time about the exile in the Bible, and the title of the lecture was Exile as Creative Disaster. And that, that really has helped me always to understand what's going on in these uh, books of the prophets and the history of the exile of the people of God, because it is a disastrous disaster. There's no doubt about that. But creative stuff happens after the disaster that could never have happened if the disaster hadn't been so disastrous. The clearing out of what happens in disasters makes space for the creativity of what follows. And that's a kind of important uh, biblical understanding. If you have your Bible open, uh, maybe you've not been listening to me because you've been looking at that uh, long list of names, very rarely read aloud in church. Uh, in terms of Bible reading out loud, this chapter is a bit of the Mount Everest of chapters. 91 unpronounceable names in 32 verses. Here they come, the great crowd of the tricky to say, the marching throng of names to trap your tongue. Eliashib and Hananel, Zakur and Imri, Hassana and Miramoth, Meshulam, Berakiah, Meshazezebel. Hard to say? Hard to remember? What are they doing here? Why are all these people in the Bible with their unpronounceable names? The answer is, they are building the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was a driven man with an administrative talent, if ever I saw one, and he's got them all working. After the uh, spiritual fervour that comes from chapter 2's big wall inspection and inspirational speech, now everyone's going to spend the next 52 days with bricks and mortar, trowels in hand, uh, shovels building the wall. I love that kind of spiritual fervour. Uh, it leads to collective teamwork. The spiritual inspiration that comes from the front of this, Christian, this uh, community of the people of God, uh, this leads to immediate commitment to change, a collective unity, a willingness to work together. We need that in the church and in the various Christian communities I've been honoured to belong to in the course of my life. Uh, when I've worked together with other people of God, that's when friendships have formed that have lasted and have been so valuable. And I'm thankful for the work and the friendships. That's part of the message of chapter 3 of Nehemiah. So in preparing this short talk, I then wondered, what shall I put my focus upon? What would be the right focus uh, in this chapter? 
And of course, I usually do kids' work in church, and I realised that if I was doing this with the kids, I, I would have focused on the reference um, to uh, the things that interest them, which are actually, uh, in kids' work, toilets and poo. And uh, I was therefore drawn to the mention of Malkijar in verse 14. Do you see what this person did? He repaired the dung gate and put its beams and bolts and bars in place. Why is this gate of the city of Jerusalem called the dung gate? It's because that's where the human waste was taken out of the city every morning to dump it into a soil pit. And among the 91 names, there are many, many nobodies. But surely Malkijar is the lowest of the lowly here. The worst gate in the city is the one where they take out the poo every day. Lots of the building was unglamorous. But this is as far from glamour as the cesspit is from the red carpet. Yet Malkijar, whoever he was, made it into the Bible as a servant of God, one of the community of the people of God, one of those who did their bit. When the Times asked them to step up in a chapter full of nobodies, this guy, the nobodyest nobody of the lot, there he is. You must picture him fitting those beams and bolts and bars and finishing his bit of the job and thinking that is one beautiful dung gate that I have built for God. Now, you might be able to see where I'm going with this. Uh, it's an ordinary reminder that in our gospel, God takes the foolish things of this world. God takes the nobodies, people like you and me. God takes the jars of clay, not the pots of gold and silver, and he makes them precious. God makes precious uh, what is ordinary to others. But you might at this point think about the book being called Nehemiah and say, fair enough, you've picked out Malkijar was a nobody and mended the Dungate, but Nehemiah, he's one of God's heroes, wasn't he? He got a whole Bible book named after him, and that only happened to 30 people in the whole Bible. You can check that if you want to. Uh, 30 people have a Bible book named after them. But in our reading of the Nehemiah story, I want you to notice something that is often hidden. Highly likely that he was a eunuch. Uh, someone had been castrated so that he could serve King Artaxerxes, the king of the Persians, without being any kind of sexual threat to the princesses who he was given the job of taking care of. Poor Nehemiah, growing up like that, with all possibilities of family life close to him, it was, in my opinion, a, a huge sad price to pay for his job in the Persian civil service. I'm not going to speculate in these few minutes about the psychology here, but just to say that in, in a time when having children and securing your family's future and uh, leaving a legacy of a family name was of vast significance, it's not impossible that Nehemiah himself turned to wall building and list making and uh, leading the people of God in an enterprise beyond their hopes and expectations, that he turned to that as, I don't know, a kind of compensation or alternative to having children of his own and leaving a family line to continue his name. Did Nehemiah also feel like a nobody? Just have a think about what is hidden in this book, as well as what's immediately visible. There you have it. Nehemiah chapter 3, 32 verses, 91 difficult names. A chapter where the rebuilder of the dung gate took his place in the people of God and found that he ended up in the Bible forever. You feel like a nobody? I believe this, that God loves the small people. You feel like a nobody today? I believe that the day you feel useless is the day of grace when God can come close. Feel like a nobody? Poor Nehemiah. But he gave what he had to God and God used it for good. 
Let's pray. God of the small things, we rejoice in your way of taking us on a bad day and doing something good. We rejoice to follow you, the God of creative disasters. You know, God, what we're all like, broken puzzles of the not that great. But today and every day we come to you as a bunch of nobodies to receive to receive your grace and love. Amen.